0: Hey, everybody. I'm going to do another solo addendum here. This time, I'm changing it up a little bit. I'm actually doing it while I drive home, which is perfect. Friday is always a traffic jam day, and uh, I get to spend a lot of time in traffic. I live on the south side of Hampton Roads. I'm sorry. Actually, I live on the other side. I work on the south side in Hampton Roads, and I have to drive up to the peninsula every day. And, of course, on Fridays, before the bridge tunnel, it's a big parking lot. Now, I have the air conditioning running, and hopefully the fan doesn't get too obnoxious, but honestly, it's freaking hot here, and I would die. So, I've got to work with it. Now, one thing that happened last time I recorded this solo episode is, well, I didn't record it the first time. I managed to look down, thinking that I had been talking for about 30 30 plus minutes, only to find that genius that I am, I had not hit the record button. So in my frazzlement, I hit it again, started over, and started to just record. I didn't talk about my trip to Canada, which is kind of a big deal to me. It was my 20th anniversary, and I wanted to go see Niagara Falls, etc. Unfortunately, the trip, I don't know what it was. The trip had some issues on it. Um, A lot of it was great, but then there were issues there. Like when we arrived, our bag didn't come. We had one bag, but the one with our clothing in it, Of course, that wasn't there at the airport, and we had to leave without it and wait for it to come the next day with no clothes, not very happy wife. We looked kind of like a traveling bums in Canada. Well, it did actually come the next day. Came to find out that our, our prudency, which is we have a caution type of tape on the handle of the bag, had caught in the top of the conveyor belt, and the bag did not come down in the uh, baggage claim area. So, oddly enough, the bag in fact was there the whole time. We just were not united to the bag. Well, we went on to the trip, and next day we went to Niagara Falls, and that actually went really well. We took a bus trip over there, visited a winery. And got to the falls and took a chance. And I actually sprang to fly in the helicopter by the falls. And we also took the boat. So that was really kind of a, a banner day. I don't know if we'll ever get back again. So having a once-of-a-lifetime experience, we get to see the Niagara Falls uh, from air, land, and sea. And got completely soaking wet. But it was definitely a fun day. The rest of the trip went pretty well until our anniversary dinner. Um, right before our anniversary dinner, we had a cab mix up. We had called a cab, and then there was another cab. And we got in the wrong cab. And he acted confused. So I got out and got back into the um, second cab, and we headed to the restaurant. After we got out went to the restaurant, I looked, hit my pockets up, felt around, felt around. My iPhone was gone. I had to, I left it in the cab. So I called the cab company and they, of course, were going to get a hold of the driver and make sure the driver looked for the cab, for the, not the cab. Hopefully he knew where the cab was. He's probably driving it. You'd look for the phone and they would contact me. And then my wife, who was calm and not flipping out like me, said, well, why don't you call it using my phone? And I called it and somebody answered and it was Tony. And Tony acted confused, and I said, Tony, are you a cab driver? And Tony said, no, I just have this phone. And I said, this phone was left in the cab, I need to get this phone back. And he said, where are you? And I, I told him where I was, and he said, I'll get it to you in 90 minutes. And I I, I wasn't thinking, uh, and, and just was so flustered. I go in, I sit down, I'm trying to have dinner, it's a really nice restaurant. And my wife is saying, um, he's going to bring it to you in 90 minutes. Are, are you sure? And so I realized that maybe I'm being scammed. So I went to uh, find my iPhone on her iPhone, looked it up, saw that um, it was somewhere on the other side of town. I don't know Toronto that well, and hers is an iPhone 5. It's really small, and I couldn't see that well on the map. And then I noticed that the last time was five minutes before. And then I noticed it was ten minutes before because, yes, I obsessively kept checking it. And I realized that, nope, that phone isn't coming to me in 90 minutes. It's gone. Now, at first I thought, hey, there's no point in them stealing it because... It's tied to Apple and if they try to turn it on and activate it, it's going to be tied to my account and they can't get anything. And then I thought a little further and realized that, oh wait, the glass backing on an iPhone 8 is $200. The screen is probably a hundred and something dollars. The battery is another hundred and something dollars. The storage, who knows how much that is? And I realized that, great that iPhone is probably being parted out on one of the little cell phone shops that I saw when I was walking around in Toronto. So good times. I'm out the iPhone. And worse off, I'm having kind of a shitty time with dinner because I'm upset about this. And I tried not to be upset. Tried to um, handle it, you know, and and get over it and, and just enjoy the moment. But I I was keyed up emotionally, and it's really hard to turn something off once it's it's affecting you. I'm sure you guys can relate to that. Now, my wife was wonderful. She was terribly understanding. But the whole experience was very, very frustrating. And I feel kind of guilty about how I acted. (laughs) Ironically, I interviewed... um, Daniel Geffen on Tuesday, and his phone had also been stolen recently. I don't think it was the same day, but um, it was pretty close, probably within a week. And he had a much more philosophical view on things, and maybe that's because he's a wiser man who was once a rabbi, but we discussed that, and I talked about how his response was, you know, if your life is that bad that you need to steal a phone in order to get food or, or, or try to get by or even to pay for your drug habit, you know, God bless. And I, I feel good that I can afford another phone. And honestly, I still don't feel quite that charitable. I could afford another phone, but not easily. It definitely hurt. But I did talk to him about that and how well, he's kind of a better person than I am with that kind of attitude. And he pointed out something that I think was pretty wise that he was not going to let the phone situation eat at him and ruin his life he needed to move forward he needed to get over it it wasn't necessarily easy and it wasn't completely for the others it was it was for him for him to get by so I, I really did like that that wisdom that he shared is a really good episode all around. I I hope you guys check it out. He's a good guy, great energy, has an awesome story about how he he essentially was jobless and everything else had to create his own business and and how he worked to create his own business and almost spun himself into a at least semi-retirement at age thirty something. <laughs> With me being a forty-seven, I'm terribly jealous of that. Now, moving back to uh, the trip, we came back, and of course, on the way back, the first flight, the more comfortable one with the bigger plane, was fine, and it went nice and easy, and it was a very polite staff, et cetera, et cetera. And then we got on the second plane, which is uh, out of LaGuardia to Norfolk. the uh, forty hour or I'm sorry forty minute flight, they said. And that turned into a two-hour flight because for whatever reason, they couldn't fly at altitude. They had to fly low, and it took forever. Not only that, they couldn't serve any kind of water or anything else because nobody was allowed to get up, and everybody had to be buckled up the whole time. So that was kind of the welcome home. Then after I got home, I needed to get a new iPhone. Good times. I go to Best Buy. Fortunately I had a birthday coupon, so it knocked like a hundred bucks off or something. Got the phone, took it to AT and T. AT and T said, um, yeah, it's it's not booting up. Put it on the charger, it wasn't booting up. Okay, fine. Took the sim, took the phone home, and let it charge for a full hour. Um, you know, I studied I went to Apple and looked it all up and they said, you know, could be uh Lost its charge, need a full hour, etc. Never booted, nothing. Got to trouble all the way back to Best Buy. Hand the phone back to them. They confirmed, nope. Can't even do a master reset, completely dead as a doornail. Got another phone. Fortunately, that one finally booted up. Now, all this is kind of a uh, causing stress, too, because unfortunately... With my current job, I can't just go on vacation, leave town and do nothing. I'm having to log into work, etc. And I get my work email on my phone and I also use my phone using SMS and getting tokens and things like that sent to it so I can log in remotely securely. Well, without the phone, I couldn't remote in securely. Without the phone, I couldn't get any email So I was flying blind. I handled the financial systems and just kind of praying that nothing breaks. Fortunately, nothing did, and um, I got to be back to work on my vacation in good time. But all this is kind of made me wonder a couple things. Overall, most things were good on the vacation. I, I had a wonderful time at niagara i got to spend great time with my wife and seeing the museum in toronto and things like that but for some reason i just kind of feel bummed out about the vacation just i sort of have this bitter crappy feeling toward it and i i don't know why i don't know why i feel that way and i know i need to reset my reset my mode and my wife feels a little bit that way too and and it really bothers me because it was our 20th anniversary and that, that, that's 20 years, I've put a little time into this and maybe that's the problem, maybe I had it built up to where it was supposed to be the perfect encounter and the perfect thing and it wasn't because of circumstances, hard to know but there we are now moving forward i um uh, got some questions from people which is awesome i wasn't sure if i was going to and thank god some people came through um ryan morris luke kayler uh, mark volk and the illustrious uh, dustin cubit all gave me some questions and you guys are lifesavers I love getting questions so I can answer them and maybe, you know, talk about the shows and well, do my best answering the questions. Um, some of them are kind of (laughs) tough. I'll start off with something easy that came out of the side and Mark Volk had actually sent a movie preview to ask a rather deep philosophical question about whether I speak to my own ego. Uh, to learn about myself, etc., And the uh, clip is from, uh, I believe it's Revolver. And it was a Guy Ritchie movie, and Luke Kaler uh, took the chance to say, yeah, well, what's a better Guy Ritchie movie, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, or Snatch? Now, being the coward I am, I'm going to say, it's been a long time since I've seen both of them, so I can tell you what, is, what a bad movie is, and that was King Arthur. That was not a good Guy Ritchie movie. Those other two I remember being very good. So I'm going to cop out and say that I don't know which one is better, but King Arthur was definitely worse, much worse. Now, as far as Mark's question, that one is a a little more confusing for me because I'm a little slow and have to think about these things, and I will read his explanation he gave me to try to help clarify it. That is, what he would ideally want from my questions would be for you to ask yourself why or what you fear, hate, love, and why, and trying to commune with that part of you using your consciousness and see if it says anything back kind of like in the video clip. In the movie the protagonist is claustrophobic and purposefully facing his fear so he can listen to his this other side. Um honestly I don't know that I do anything that conscious. I'm I'm not that deep. <laughs> I, I really wish I was. Part of the reason I do the show is so I can really interview other other people who I, I really admire so much. And, and I can learn from them and, and maybe get some depth out of myself. Do I question myself? Yeah, I do. But I don't necessarily talk to myself and question it. Speaking into this microphone right now is about as close as I get to talking to myself. Now, I will say I listen to a ton of podcasts anyway, when I hear somebody really wise on a podcast asking questions or making statements about what people do and things like that. I then may hear that question and and think to myself, do I do that and determine whether I do or I don't or, or maybe a, an action or a thought pattern I have, I will find matches that and will try to explore w- why I feel and things like that, but it's not a conscious conversation or script. It's kind of a a meandering mulling going on, if that makes any sense. Now, on to an easier question for me. Um, Do I think anyone will ever break the two-hour barrier in a marathon? And the question is a real breaking to, not a project like Nike uh, had last summer. And that one I'm not completely sure on because I've read a couple books on it. Uh, Phil Mapitone had a book on it, and I believe I read one other about it. Now, I do think that we're physically capable, not we as in all of us, but I think some of the top runners in the world, um, specifically uh, the Kenyans, and some of the Ethiopians perhaps could do it now if they, if they pushed it. But I don't know that the incentives are lined up correctly for it. Realistically, they're better off breaking the world record and then breaking it again and then breaking it again and collecting the money and the bonuses, et cetera, for that rather than just going flat out for the uh, sub two hour because then they would just do that it's one that's done. they're not getting the money. And now I don't know if that's a, a completely you know conscious thing, but a winning for for these guys, you know especially in Africa, I mean if they get a, a couple hundred thousand dollars out of a race, which they they will if they break the world record, they're set for years. I mean, it buys their entire farm. Um, it's multi-years of salary. I mean, it, they are set for life. It is a big deal. And really, the incentive is for them, if they break the world rural, rural record by like five seconds, you know, right now I think it's at like 202.50 something. It may be lower. I don't remember exactly. But let's say it's 202.50. And they break it and say 202.45 and then break it again 202.43 the next year. They're collecting, you know, half a million dollars in that, you know, not to mention maybe other endorsements and things. I honestly kind of agree with Phil Maffetone that There would have to be a, a genuine purse um, on it where everyone who breaks it, it gets like a million dollars. So you would have to throw money at it. So they would be set for life and they would all have the incentive to break it. Like if, if you win, but you don't break two hours, you get nothing, that kind of thing. But if you break two hours, no matter if you're first, second or third, you get a million dollars. That is going to give that edge and incentive for, you know, multiple people to go for it and to try it. Um, he also brought up other factors. Now the Nike, um, uh, Nike bit was kind of using a little bit of that using a, a racing track with a much wider, you know, an auto racing track has a, a a wider band around it because that would be the ideal is to have like a track that's maybe a mile around if possible so they can have a perfect flat, um, type of course. You know, obviously you don't want any kind of wind or anything else. It has to, it cannot be a net downhill or would not account for a world record. Um, so you want to set up the conditions to be exact. Now, the, I understand what Ryan is asking about, you know, not doing a, a, a breaking two. The, the big issue with breaking two is that you had a car in front of them. So you, you have the runners that are drafting off of a freaking car. However, it could be useful to use that kind of mechanism to just flat out get under two hours, even though it won't count as a record it still shows the capability of the human body that, yeah, we're about right there. So I'm not going to say that's a completely wasted effort or time. Okay. Now the next question is, okay, this is based off of a post that um, I shared comparing the differences between American runners and African runners specifically. And the uh, different training methodologies. And, and Drew Glebe, I believe it was, responded to it. Sorry I didn't shout you out earlier, um, Drew. Um, and he asked, in my opinion, is it better to flip it? Instead of what, what we have a tendency to do as Americans is we're so set on we're going for an eight-mile run that if we realize when we get back to the parking lot that we're at like 7.95 miles, that we'll run around the parking lot, you know, in a shuffle jog, whatever, just to make sure that our GPS ticks over, even though it's really a silly exercise. It, you know, your body does not understand what a mile is. That's just ridiculous. It's just something there. And we may have already run it because the GPSs aren't necessarily accurate and we're um, have things like tangents, like if we're running back and forth or on the outside of a road versus the inside of the road, we're likely putting a little bit more distance on anyway. And the Africans, on the other hand, they have a tendency to say, okay, my workout is not about the distance of running eight miles at, you know, at uh, this pace. They're saying my workout is about running this pace. Um, and that's the part I forgot is if I, if we are tired as Americans, rather than running the eight miles at that pace, we may run the eight miles at a slightly, um, less aggressive pace. Like maybe we'll go a little bit slower, but make sure we get that eight miles in. Africans, on the other hand, tend to say, I am going to be running at this particular pace. And if I don't make it eight miles, it doesn't matter. I will run as far as I can at that pace until I just flat out can't run anymore. So it's a completely different philosophy and a reversal, and, and and some could make the argument, and I believe the original article kind of was, is that our fixation on the distance may lead to wasted effort, whereas the Africans focus on on the uh, quality of the workout, makes sure that their body is getting the feeling and the effort at that pace, and the training may be better. Now that question, which I'm finally getting around back around to, is, is it good doing what we do essentially in the American style, or is it in fact better if we flip it and say, hey, no, run that pace as aggressively as we can and go as far as we can? I would say both have their place. And again, that might sound like a cop-out, but I'm really thinking in terms of like the 80-20 rule. Because there's other factors with the Africans too. One is the Africans, when they run slow, they run slow. Easy to them is easy. When they do it, they actually look like they're they're just jogging. Their their pace is so slow in comparison to what they are racing, and we here are terrible at that. We have a tendency to run easy hard now by easy hard it's it's hard to explain but running truly easy means that we're breathing so easily that we can have a nice conversation chat away with a friend and we may not we may be well under our our normal pace it could be let's say our average pace is a 7 minute mile we may be running at 930 10 minutes 1030 a mile. Africans, they may run a, you know, their their workout pace may be a 530, and they may be jogging at a nine-minute pace, which is just insane. But when they are running easy, they are running easy. We have a problem with that, and we have this thought that, okay, well, we're not running at our full race pace, but I can't, we can't run that slow. So, we're always can't I don't know, It's a, we get a little ego um, tripped up here. So I guess my issue with this is that the Africans, because they do easy when they're supposed to do easy, their focus of we are running at this pace, at this speed, as far as we can, is good. Because that is following the 80-20 rule. 80, 80% of the time, run really easy. But 20% of the time, run really focused. Run at your proper pace. So you have easy, hard flip. Therefore, I think the best approach is when you're planning a quality workout, and by quality, I mean a race pace workout or a quicker workout or Tempo, threshold, these are all different kinds for those who aren't runners and are already uh, tuning out. Run them as well as you can, as clean as you can. And instead of going three quarters of the speed or the effort so you can complete the entire time, do what the Africans do, focus on the quality. So for example, if you're going to do intervals of, of five say five intervals of five minutes each and you're not a four, only do four. Well, make sure you do it at the proper level. You will, you will get a more fulfilling workout. And then on the flip side of it, when you're running easy, go ahead and pad, go ahead and shuffle and grab that little extra distance. It won't hurt you. Matter of fact, grab a little bit more, but just make sure it's easy. Let that start building up your endurance. Now, moving on to the next question. This one's from Dustin, and I could just see him kind of chuckling to himself when he came up with it. When you hear the word postmodernism, what are your first thoughts? Ugh. My first thoughts are, ugh. I really, really don't like getting into postmodernism because, A, I haven't read a bunch of it. And oh actually I will say I haven't read any of it. I just have been exposed, I guess you could say, to people arguing about it and people stating what they what it is or what it isn't and how it affects things. And honestly some of the people who are proponents of it I kind of find to be just sort of obnoxious. I'm not gonna say that people who are against it can't be obnoxious too the whole subject just doesn't seem to really go anywhere and just seems to be a intellectual battle. I don't know. Next question. What was my favorite school subject in high school? Uh, I would say being on the debate team, um, closely followed with the journalism and drama, but I wasn't good in drama. I was, uh, I never made it to the the Cool Kids um, Club. One, one of my friends who I re, uh, re-met up with, he, he managed to make it all the way in there, and he actually is back home in Tucson performing all the time in all kinds of plays. His name's Christopher Youngren. And I always remember uh, admiring his talent so much because he, he was just an incredible actor. I, I did not have the skills. Now, with Debate, I did really well. It, it, um, came very comfortably to me, uh, right out the gate. I enjoyed it. I, I love libraries. I love research. I married a librarian. So I learned early, go to the library to find the things that mean everything in your life. And I did well with it. Sadly, my debate career got cut short because I got, um, shall we say, caught with possession of, Marijuana on a high school campus, and (laughs) that ended my debate career, my drama career, and pretty much uh, anything else extracurricular in this school, and almost uh, probably had me uh, losing a couple pounds of flesh, too, but fortunately I managed to stay out of the uh, radar of a very angry uh, parent. Uh, last, uh, what is my favorite video game? I, uh, I, I'd i say it's a toss-up between um, Zeldas, and uh, don't ask me which one, because I like several of them. And I really, really love the original um, Dragon Age. That was a, a game that I actually played all the way through. I finished it and enjoyed it. Um, I like the uh, long you know, action-adventure uh, role-playing type games problem is I don't have time to play them so what happens is I'll spend like one day over uh, a holiday break and that'll be like my whole video game day and I'll intend to continue on and maybe finish the game but usually I get one day in of playing the games and that's the end I <laughs> move on to something else now that wraps up the Q and a and next week I'm actually going to be at podcast movement 2018. I'm pretty excited to go there. I'll be meeting some of the past guests there like uh, Robert Forto who's a um, musher Susie Rosenstein Jill Angie um, future guests. I will also be meeting there. And honestly, I'm really excited because I'm still very new at this podcasting thing. And I will be meeting with really, really awesome people who are movers and shakers in the field. So hopefully I'll get to bring something back. And uh, my skills, I hope to keep improving and make the show better. And I hope you guys enjoy it. Thank you much.
1: Mr. Hayes' office, how may I help you? Andrea, it's Marilyn over at Kennedy Parker Construction. Hello, Marilyn. Would you like me to connect Mr. Parker to Mr. Hayes? A fish
0: surrounded by sharks. A secretary cursed by desire and ambition. Introducing the diarist by Donna Barrow Green. The diarist, an addictive psychological thriller, satirical, suspenseful, and full of twists. Available on iTunes or anywhere you get your podcasts. Yes. I'm sorry if I've
1: hurt your feelings. Or if something I've said has led you to believe I think you're incompetent. It's just been so long since you've given me any encouragements or compliments on my... Andrea. I do notice you. I like that blouse on you. Very much. You look very pretty, just as you are right now. Oh. Well, I... It's very pretty on you. Thank you. What sort of fabric is it? It's silk. It's lovely. You have excellent taste in clothes. I notice. Would you mind removing your cardigan? My sweater? Yes, so I can see the blouse in its entirety. Why... I like it very much You see, I do notice you You know that, don't you? I don't have to tell you I notice these things You know when I like something, don't you? I don't know I repeated his words in my mind I notice you That was it, wasn't it? I wanted someone to notice me Not Andrea, the daughter, the wife, the secretary. Not even Andrea, the artist or ad girl. I wanted someone, anyone, to see me. More than anything, it was Richard. Please don't think unkind of me, dear reader.
0: Now, tonight's adventure into the unknown.
1: Shut up and sit down. Sarge and Frenzy from the Sarge Approved podcast. Uh, If you're not familiar, the Sarge Approved podcast has a guest every episode featuring uh, people like actors, comedians, uh, survival experts, authors, martial arts experts, basically a whole gamut of badass people. Yes. And you can check out all our episodes on all the podcast platforms, iTunes, iTunes, Spreaker Uh, Stitcher Google Play Music iHeart Radio um, And you can check us out on all our social media Facebook Instagram Twitter All the things It's all at SARS Approved Yep Check it out and we hope you enjoy it Bye Later